0: Welcome to Property and Investing with Grant and Charlie, the place where we give you access to all the strategies, tools, and tactics to become a successful property investor. Before you ask Charlie, yes, I am going through puberty. It is a wonderful thing, and my voice is starting to break. Who's hey, going to be? Like, Did this podcast just get sexier? Do you like that? This is my this is my radio voice. This is the this is the huskiness. Um, you know what's funny? I've spoken to people about like how do you find investment properties and like what's the easiest way. And um, you know how people, some people use buyer's agents. I was thinking about the same. like, I'm sure there are other things in my life that I could try and get other people to help me out with. Cleaning, etc. And then it came to me, Charlie. I could go and get my wife to subscribe me to our newsletter. So if you're sitting there going, how do I subscribe to the newsletter, but you don't want to do it yourself, you can go and ask a loved one, a friend, family member, whoever, to head over to propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter. They can put in your name, and your email and hit subscribe for you, and you don't have to do it. It's nice and easy, simple. Talk about leverage, that's better than getting a mortgage, right? That's, Damn that's straight true it is. leverage. Real leverage. Let's cue the disclaimer.
1: It's Charlie here from Property and Investing, and I need to let you know that Grant and I and the Property Investing team are in no way, shape or form qualified to give you financial advice. We strongly encourage you to seek out and use professionals when comparing investment products or making investment decisions. Alright Grant, here we are. We get to make one of my favourite types of episodes today. We're doing a Q&A episode, which is, yeah, as I said, one of my favourites here. Now, as a quick reminder to everyone out there, if you are on the email list, which again, hint, hint, nudge, nudge. If you reply to any of the emails with a question, we do put them into a list and then we'll be sure to cover them on the show at some point. Actually, provided they're good questions. If you reply and actually ask a crappy question, I'm not going to answer it. Still got to do it. <laughs> Alternatively, if you're in the Facebook group and you do want to send a, a question in, well, same rules apply. Quality questions, people. Quality questions. Are so you saying this because you haven't
0: had good quality? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Do you know what, actually, <laughs> I have to give credit to the audience. 95% of the questions I get, which, again, it does light me up to get replies from people and send things into the show. It's really nice that people want to make progress and like we do this show to help other people. So it's nice to be able to answer their questions on the show itself. Majority of the questions I get are fantastic. There's only one question I get, which is, and I'm happy to answer it right now, which is the one I hate getting. Wait, wait, actually, before we get into this, what question do you think I get all the time that I hate getting and I can't answer?
0: Where should I buy?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Uh, And I mean, I'm happy to answer why I don't like that. Um, And there's actually a couple I get, which is like very difficult to answer. It's like, where should I buy is number one. And the short answer of that is I have no idea because I don't know your personal circumstances or situation or your risk tolerance or the other factors that are in your life. So when someone, you know, there's a property right now in Sydney that's a great investment for one person and it's not for another. So very, very difficult to answer. The second one I get occasionally is should I sell?
0: And it's what like, would you do in my situation?
1: Yeah, and many of them are difficult to answer as well. And not that I don't like getting those questions, but I'm not necessarily the biggest advocate of picking those four people when we don't understand their circumstance. And that's why we ourselves utilize the services of people like Dashdot or our mortgage broker Aaron from uh, what's it, diagnostics and uh, analytics? Aaron. Is it? Yeah, diagnostics and finance. Sorry that comes through from there. So they are the more challenging ones. And I think I just scared half our email list to ever replying to us now, Grant. We may not get any more questions.
0: (laughs) So we'll get more questions.
1: All right, well, we're gonna dig into this nonetheless. So question number one here is, is it possible to find positive cash flow properties in today's environment? And if so, how? How do you feel about that one,
0: Grant? Yes, I feel as though the answer should be nice and easy. The answer is yes, of course it is. Moving on. (laughs) Next question. (laughs) No, you included, if so, how? So we'll have to give it more detail. Now, you and I have spoken about this uh, at length because, uh, and actually you've got this great formula that involves three different layers to it. So I'm not even going to steal your point. I'm just going to let you dive into it. Charlie, my answer is yes, but what is your answer? And if so, how? I think
1: when we get this question, I've had it a couple of times now as well, I will mention here, what someone's really asking is like, can I find positive cash flow properties with minimal deposit? That's what they're really asking. So if I have very limited funds, is it still possible to find a cash flow positive property? And, and then there's like this little sub layer of like, without taking on too much risk.
0: Yeah. It's like the, the question of like, why are they looking for that specific thing? And it's like, well, I don't really have any cash reserves and I'm using all my emergency fund to go and invest in property, but I don't want to take any risk, which means it has to work. That's like a 99.99% chance has to work. And if it doesn't work the way I hope it works and I do need to dip into my pocket, it needs to be nothing <laughs> because there are other things that I have to pay for. And that's really sort of the undertone of this.
1: Yeah, so that's, the I suppose, the dangerous part of this question because, for example, there are positive cash flow properties out there today in Australia with a 0% deposit, but they're in like speculative mining towns. So would you really want to own that asset even if it was that way inclined? And I I look at those situations and say that's probably the stuff that we have to look at here. The other factor in this scenario here is – well, the one I'll lean into for number one is the size of deposit. So, for example, you could buy a property in, uh, I'll just use Melbourne right now. Uh, Let's go with Albert Park, quite a nice suburb of Melbourne. I love that suburb. But the point being is that if you went into Albert Park and you were trying to get like a 90% loan, like use a really high amount of leverage, that property would be very negatively geared just due to the yield that's on it. But then on the other side of things, if you went to Albert Park and let's say you've got a $5 million deposit. I mean, you probably own the property outright. So with Definitely. no loan, of course, it's positively geared. So number one factor that comes into if a property is going to be positive, negative or neutral comes down to the amount of deposit you have versus the cost of the property. So yep. very important factor. The second part in the equation is the yield you get, right? So again, in Albert Park, you probably get a, maybe a 3% yield today. Maybe. And a half, give or take. Yep. Yeah, where if you were going to buy a property in, let's say, uh, Perth, I know right now there's some out there that are five percent yield, yep. so you can see that yield differential just changes the cash flow of the property itself. And then one point um, that I'll go into further is that there's, uh, there needs to be an acknowledgement of just how different the running costs are in properties. It's not universal either. So uh, something you and I have both been too exposed to, and I've got a little ratio I'll, I'll talk about here. But it's like the example we've covered on other episodes is uh, Queensland. It's much more expensive to operate a property from like cancel rates and insurance compared to some other places. Again, I'll just use Perth where it's much lower. So um, Grant, I, I know you've got some stories on this. Do you want to unpack a couple just to kind of highlight the individualities?
0: Yeah. And so I look at it from three different layers, which is exactly what you've done. I'm just going to rephrase them. So the first one is what's the revenue that you're getting every single month, which is the rental yield. Awesome. What is the running expenses, excluding debt? of that property which you've mentioned like the insurance the council fees all those kind of fun things uh and then the last one is like the debt right which to your point it's like well if you put a larger deposit on then obviously it's a lesser amount of debt or another vehicle that other people might use is like an offset account where you're and to put somebody in an offset account again playing with that debt to reduce the amount that you're paying back and so for myself uh i've got places in to use your examples, places in queensland and places in wa now in queensland Um, What you can do is you get places that have a higher yield. So I've got some places that are sitting at a 9.5% rental yield, right? But then the expenses on the place are extremely high because of insurance. And so what I've actually had to do is massage out the offset account to make it a cash flow positive property. So in this example here, my income, which is the rent I'm making, is not covering all of the expenses that are going out on the property, including maintenance, Right. And so it's negative by about 50 bucks a month, approximately. So if there's no maintenance, Charlie, I'm doing well. There's a little bit of maintenance, it's about zero. And so what I've done is I've merely just adjusted the debt. So I have cash sitting in an offset so that the entire thing is producing profits. Right. And so that is one of the ways that I've actually utilized cash and offsets in order to produce profits from a property. Where then you go and look at one of the properties that I have in WA. And I was looking at potentially increasing my deposits, which I currently do 20% deposits to putting a 30% deposit in, which means I've got a less of debt sitting on the property, but it then means that my property payments are lower. So instead of using offset, I just go and put in a larger deposit into it because that rental yield, I think was about 5.6%, but then the expenses weren't going to sort of cover it off. And so that is the way that I've actually leveraged the debt component because I can influence that more then I can influence expenses. I can't go to the government and say, "Hey, just want to charge me less on council fees, please." <laughs> or like I can go and look for a cheaper insurance. Sure, sure, sure you can. Um, sure, you can. yeah, sure you can. Um, but the insurance companies, I can compare it against a hundred different insurance companies. But there's only there's none of them are going to charge me one dollar a year. There's always going to be a, a ceiling on that, and or a floor, I should say, on that which means that I can't massage the expenses that much and I can't ignore maintenance fees and I can't ignore all these other things, which means I just go back to wherever I can in order to find the best place to massage it. And I will, I will call the elephant in the room out. Obviously, if you're buying in a place that has a lower rental yield, knowing that up front before you actually get in is one of the key elements to this right? Because nothing would be worse than buying a place in Albert Park, for example, Charlie. They're saying, oh, I'm totally going to get a 5% rental yield on this. <laughs> and then you go, oh, wait a second, I'm only getting a 3%? Oh my gosh, I didn't realize. And then just being surprised by that. And that is more about finding the property that fits your personal scenario, that fits your personal situation and making sure that it applies to that.
1: I think you're forgetting a uh, very critical layer to all this.
0: Let's do it. You ready
1: for it? So, um, Actually, I'll even mention this first. Isn't this one of the best things about property, though? That you can identify this stuff before you go in. So, if you're looking <laughs> at a property, like you can ring the property manager and understand like, <laughs> rates, really? costs. Like you don't, you're not going into it blindly. And I think if anyone as an investor is going to buy a property, I would encourage you explore the expenses before you buy it. Not just thinking about the purchase costs. But um, there's a couple other things that kind of happen with this that I think are really important for consideration. Is number one is that Interest rates change. So you can get into a property and it might be positively geared, but if you haven't put in appropriate buffers or you haven't factored in where rates could go and certainly the evident of the last few years, is you can start out positive and then rates go up, what, 3%? And yep. now you're negative. Now, so a really big important factor if you are someone wanting to do the positive cash flow thing in property is putting in a buffer in that. But the other side of this that I think is the critical layer is like – Rents historically have gone up. So over time, you might buy a property that is slightly negative or neutral, even or even slightly positive. But over time, as rents increase, provided you don't increase the debt, you will eventually end up with a positive cash flow property. Uh, I won't say in all circumstances, but majority of the time with intent. Now, I know this is something you've experienced as well, at Grant, but it's like across the portfolio that I've built. Like as rents have stacked every year, like some of the properties I bought like three or four years ago now, like because rents have increased so substantially, that positive uh, cash flow nature has just expanded over time. And that's where the hidden advantage is. Like I think there needs to be less thinking about what it is on day one and then more thinking about what it could be three, five, ten years from now now and play the long game here
0: like when you, you spoke about the thing around risk, right? And you use the example that, sure, there's probably properties out there at the moment that is a net positive cash flow, which means that you can your yield will pay for everything. Your rental yield will pay for everything. And you use the idea of, okay, well, maybe there's something in a mining town or something like that. Have you ever explored the idea of looking at a property that is going to be negatively geared, so it's negative cash flow? But then looking to do like a capital improvement, whether it's put like a granny flat on it, whether it's a, um, I don't know, like a duplex and splitting out the titles or something like that. Like, Have you ever looked at doing something like that as a strategy to convert something that's not positive cash flow into something that is positive cash flow? Noting that it is a more riskier and it does take a bit more time. Just another layer on top.
1: Yeah, I've actually uh, looked at this a few times. When I first got into property investing more seriously, like the strategy out there was the, known as the granny flat
0: strategy. Like that's I what remember. people
1: even yeah they called it that.
0: So i remember been in like, your kitchen talking about the granny flats. <laughs>
1: Well, as a Victorian (laughs) where granny flats aren't really a thing, right, it's not as big a thing as it is in other states. So, uh, for example, a lot of people may not be aware of this, but in uh, New South Wales, like it's very common for people to have granny flats and then for them to be rented out to other people. In Victoria, it's uncommon. I don't know if that's because of council or regulation, but it's very uncommon. So in New South Wales, there was this whole wave of things that happened where as interest rates came down, the viability of this strategy meant you could, uh, and these are rough numbers at the time, but you could buy a property in like the Wollongong region that might have a 5% yield, put a granny flat on it for, I think it was 120 grand, and you might be able to jack that yield up to like seven and a half, eight percent 8%, yep. where rates were like coming down and like the spread of doing that was really strong. So what a lot of people were doing, buy a property, put a granny flat on it, then that would take that posit- that property to positively geared. And then as soon as they did that, they would do the next one. And that's how they were stacking property without carrying uh, the obligation of negative gearing. And very effective of people that took advantage of that in that time. Um, I kind of actually wish I did a few of them in hindsight, but um, I actually went the other approach. So uh, we're talking essentially like a value-add strategy for cash flow exactly. where I went value-add for capital growth. So I actually did some splitted developments that weren't great for cash flow, but excellent for capital growth improvements. But you can certainly play in others, and there's some more common today. Like I know there are people out there that buy properties and convert them into rooming houses, for example. And that was a good one. Yeah, so a very viable way of navigating certain environments. You can absolutely look at those paths if cash flow is more important to you.
0: I think that the key so. I did a thirty grand uh, renovation to a place that we purchased, and so we basically renovated it. We actually put a tenant in whilst renovating it, and then in the agreement, it's like once the renovations are done, you're gonna end up paying more. It was like it was almost hundred bucks a week more once the renovation was completed. I think the the biggest key to this, whether it's putting a granny flat out the back, doing an improvement, splitting, turning it into a rooming house, etc., is being aware that you're going to burn cash whilst trying to do it, right? Like I've seen people split titles and it's taken them a year and a half. I've seen people try and build granny flats and it took them, it cost them 50% more than what they were expecting and it took them twice as long, right? Like there are all of these risk elements to it that yes, the outcome might be a positive cash flow, but on the other element, it's just great. It's going to cost you more. It's probably going to take you longer than you anticipated. And you just need to be able to weather those costs during that time or even uh, what we've seen previously, which was like building costs went through the roof. It's like that is just a risk that you need to go in with your eyes wide open on of just saying, can I weather this storm? Which comes right back to what we mentioned at the start, which is if people are just looking for cash flow positive properties for the very first one right here, right now, it's because well, I don't have anything left to lose or to risk if this does not work, which is probably not the right to go and develop on top of it.
1: My general feel, and this is just in my uh, experience, is that if you are someone that wants to create a positive cash flow uh, portfolio, the things that are going to become important to you is going, well, letting time do some work. So allow rents rents to increase uh, is a huge part of it. Um, and compounding and all the rest of it, but also improving your ability to fund deposits not from equity. So it might very well be worth someone starting a side hustle or growing a business or going for a promotion or a new career path to increase income so that they can leave chunkier deposits. The chunkier the deposit and the less reliance you have on extracting equity in general, the easier it will be to
0: produce a positive cash flow result. It's funny how the calculation that you ran through basically applies to personal life as well. <laughs> it's like where well, you can increase the income you make every single month, you can decrease the expenses every single month, or you can like also play around with the debt that you've got or the risks that you have. <laughs> it's so applicable.
1: Completely. All right. So I feel like we've answered this question here, Grant. Should we move on to the next one? Definitely. All right. Uh, second question I've got here. How do you approach inspecting and buying potential investment properties in other states? I love this question. And both you and I have properties in several states that we've never been to. So I feel like that's a great question for us.
0: I have a strategy to not see any of my investment properties in my lifetime. Can I ask why? Because I'm the same, but I'm I'm curious on the reason. I I just feel like it's just so against what most people lean into. <laughs> that is like most people want to be able to like touch and see and feel that these things that they've spent so much money on. They're like, I just want to see it. Like because it becomes real, it actually becomes this thing, and I'm like, I wonder if I have what is it like the tenacity to just like not ever see these things and like be able to go through my life of just going like this is it's a woozy, it's a wazy. I just don't know where it is. is. Right, I'll frame this up for you. Um,
1: I want you to pretend I'm someone who can't control my impulses with food, which actually probably <laughs> not far off, right? I like, I like that. to eat yeah. all right, so I want you to imagine that it's um where you wouldn't take me is to a buffet. Right, in this scenario here, <laughs> right, So I'm, I'm a plumber in a past life, Grant. Like uh, you've seen one of my homes, right? You've been to the, my uh, principal place of re- residence. It's like it becomes emotional, and I want to tinker. Yep. I'm concerned I do, I like if that. I go and see my investment properties and become too attached to them, I'll remove the objectiveness I have. <laughs> I'll start wanting to oh, we could fix that up, and maybe we should do some landscaping. You know, it'll, it'll bite me, and I'll stop thinking about it in such a clear lens. Well, I like to have this separation because I feel like it actually makes me a better investor because I'm viewing it through that lens.
0: You like me? You're the type of guy that just appreciates them being in line on a spreadsheet. That's <laughs> like that's the level of connection between the properties. It just I would almost binary. say it allows me to make substantially better
1: decisions. It really Co- does. Unbi- completely
0: unbiased decisions. Yeah, yeah. So that's the approach. So I'm for it. Like I, I absolutely love it. But to to jump back to the question around like how do you approach like inspecting and buying? I I kind of split them out from the inspection front. Uh, most of the properties that I have bought, we've actually sent out the property manager who who we, my my property manager that will end up taking over this property if I purchase it to go and do like a full walkthrough before we actually go and make an offer. So to lay that out, uh, we bought a place in WA, and what happened was there was an open for inspection on the Saturday. We sent the new property manager out to go and check out this thing. And it was actually funny talking to the property manager. There were like three other property managers they knew that were looking at them on behalf of other people as well. (laughs) So it was like all these property managers. It is totally a thing. Um, And the awesome part was like so the property manager went out and gave me a full video with like voiceover commentary as well from like this is the straight appeal. Like, hey, I'm I'm noticing – there was a dry patch of grass and so they went in on the dry, dry patch of grass going, I think there's going to be an irrigation problem here. And like they did this full walkthrough and then they went and took photos um, and then they assessed like how many people were there and all these things before we even put an offer on. And so it was actually utilizing these people that they make money from in now because they were the ones that went and did the, the whole inspection and everything. Um, that was one of the best ways that I've seen to go and inspect a property before sort of getting building a pest and all these other things that were mentioned in a second in or even before putting an offer on. What have you you done?
1: (laughs) So what I I like about this in in a big way is like if you're only going to invest in properties that you can potentially drive to, you're very limited in the pool of properties that are there. And what could be even worse is you might live in a location because of family, school zone, career, which would even say that the pool of properties that are around you just aren't going to give you the opportunities that match your goals. So the idea of being able to be multi-state or even offer diversification if you are already in a state, huge advantage. I'm a big uh, fan of investing in multiple states. I really am. So then to look at it is like, well, how do you find properties in other states? I think buyer's agents are fantastic here. They really are. Like I'm not going to be able to gather the intel um, that – a uh, buyer's agent would be able to. And if I was purchasing interstate, I would absolutely be taking on advice on where. Yep. The second component to that is like, I love your example here with the property manager because there's self-interest, right? This person like to do the right thing by you, they have an interest in that. So to send them out and to have someone who knows the area, has looked at it, can provide really good feedback, just awesome. And then the thing that almost seals the deal is the videos these days. Like yep. what... Quality you can get out of an iPhone is ridiculous. So if you are utilising buyers, agents, property managers, the use of video, and then you hinted on this one before with like pest and building reports, like you can actually mitigate a lot of the risk without ever having to go to a location, which can make, I I think, a substantial difference when you're looking at these types of things here. The thing I like about
0: the property managers is this is the greatest trial prior to you actually paying for their services. <laughs> I think some of them charge a fee to like go out, or like like you'll end up seeing it in a bill that'll come back. There's always like this: how much are you willing to do <laughs> in order to win me as a customer? Because they're like, if they're willing to go out to a place, um, including travel time, I'm sure it's like 20 minutes, 30 minutes of their time, and cutting out the middle of their Saturday. <laughs> I'm like, that's some seriously good dedication to make sure that I'm successful. So, um, plus they also know a lot of the people who were there, so they would have seen other. Property managers there, and they'll be able to explain the situation to you in a better in a better guise. Like your point of, as well around like buyers agents. So buyers agents get out there, get their feet on the ground, and do the same thing: photos, videos. Like what are they seeing? What, how many people went through? What were the conversations that were being had? What was the interest like? All those kind of things. Especially because you're in the industry, they'll be talking to the people trying to sell it. Uh,
1: my first it. property, my first investment property, I bought. I use a buyers agent called uh, Matt. Um, which uh, shout out to Matt, awesome guy. Um, he was really interesting in the experience because he was one of those where he would go to every property he inspects. Not all buyers agents do that, right? They utilize different services depending on their location. Um, Matt, though, he was very much a, what you would call like a local area expert. That was his thing. He would go in there, man, and he would be looking at these properties in a very different way than other people. And uh, I really appreciated that in his service where he was looking at through the, how does this property stack up against other properties in the area and the opportunities he had. So I really enjoyed that as well. Like his commentary around things was very unique because like he wouldn't overpay. He's like, well, I'm not going to pay, let's just say a hundred thousand for this because I can buy one down the road for 90. That's better. So he's where someone who may be buying for emotional reasons because they like the color of the walls or whatever it's like he wasn't playing those games. So really, really powerful insights from that one as well.
0: And, and you get, it's interesting, I know a guy who owns a building and pest inspection organization in uh, Victoria, and they also do a specialized inspection, and it's really interesting talking to him about how many more people have actually got him to go out to do a pre-building and pest on the property during the inspection. So obviously he can't get under the house, can't get in the roof, can't do all of those things, but he literally just rock, rocks up Walks around, takes the video, takes the photo and does like this pre-inspection, which more or less is someone trying to get the same outcomes of what we're talking about with uh, property managers, buyers, agents, et cetera, where it's just like this inspection to go, is it livable? What does it look like? Can you give me a video walkthrough? Because the photos on realestate.com.au aren't that great. Um, and he actually reckons that that was a great service that he was providing because it was so easy for him to go in. It's observe probably it, a bad business. That. It was, it was great because then he also locked in the building and pest, like the actual inspection after the offer was put on and approved. <laughs> so then he went back and actually did the full-blown thing. I will say in a lot of
1: cases, um, and this is back to my tradie days, uh, let's say there's a problem in a roof, right? At times, you don't need to get into the roof to know there's a problem in the roof. There'll totally. be signs and symptoms. It's like, oh, we're seeing a bit of sag in the roof over there. Oh, look, there's a wet patch. So yep. uh, it's only when you're trying to find the problem and the cost of fixing it do you maybe need to get into the roof in this example. So I think that's a very merited strategy, right? And there's a, a whole bunch of – I'll give you another really good one. Uh, swelling in the cabinets. If you're ever going to go to an oh, inspection, yeah, yeah. yeah, like go and check all the bathrooms and kitchen ones because if there's leaks and things like that and the cabinets are swollen, like that could be a very expensive thing to find before you get in there. It would be it something you would want to know. Are
0: there – are there services of people that just formally do this? Or is it usually like a sub layer of like a building and pest inspector or like a buyer's agent like where they would actually go out to look at something? So imagine, imagine you went and found something off realestate.com that you thought was a great potential purchase. Like, can you like do you know anyone else that you can just reach out to and say, hey, can you just like book yourself in? Like, can you go on like Airtasker or something like that and just like book someone in to go and check out a property and do a video and take some photos?
1: I don't know of it, but I wouldn't surprise me if it comes out in the coming years. Um, I I will just kind of highlight a point here, though, is like let's say I went out and did like a surface-level look around a problem and said, hey, this might be an issue, hey, this might be a thing. Like the reality is is that you probably don't need um, too many qualifications and too many um, insurances. If you are doing building and pest inspections uh, to the code, though, because like Australia has a code of uh, like – everything has to be built to the code. There's all these rules and regulations. That, on the other hand, you really got to know your shit. Like, that's not something you can do a weekend course in. Like, that's something that is heavily regulated. There's a lot of insurances that go with it. Like, if you go to a property and you're saying, look, this is termite-free and it's not, there's repercussions. Or, hey, um, you know, this is in the roof, what's the cause? Like, there's a lot of Responsibility that's taken when you have that type of role. So building in pest inspectors like have stringent process and rules and regs that they have to work to. So uh, keep in mind that uh, for anyone out there, it's like, there's a bit more that goes into it that may meet the eye. Do
0: you want to jump onto the buying side of uh, buying a property? interstate? I just haven't found it any, like from my experiences between all the different states, like I almost don't know anything different anymore. <laughs> it's like... It's like all of the paperwork just gets emailed through, and you scan it and send it. Like it's almost no different. Like I know you've bought a principal place of residency in in Victoria, and you've also bought investment properties outside of Victoria. Like was the experience any different between buying one face to face versus buying one not face to face? So the
1: irony is, even if you buy a property, let's say you let's say you're buying the house next to you. Yep, there's nothing done in person. <laughs> right, that would warrant that experience. It's all still dealing with the bank online or the broker through email, right? So it's it's the virtual experience, I think, is here to say. The only difference might be is if you wanted to like sit down with your mortgage broker or something, or you wanted yeah. to meet the real estate agent. But
0: <laughs> Maybe like even then, like, I know signing my documents, so... I did a stint in Queensland where I stayed in Queensland and I was signing for a property in WA in like the Queensland bank branch. <laughs> and, like, and I do that in the Victorian bank branch, like for places that I buy elsewhere. So it's even then, like it just doesn't matter. Like I'm just, I don't see any difference between actually the, the transactional purchase being any different at all.
1: Yeah. So I give you the idea of like, you know, using a laptop in Victoria is the same as using a laptop in Queensland. So <laughs> that, that part of it is the yeah. same. Um, yeah. But I will highlight here that buying properties in other states has a different process. So like totally. buying That's a property important. in WA was probably the most <laughs> abrupt compared to the other, we'll put it that way. Uh, and by, even then, I mean, I never realized how much I needed a justice of the peace until I started buying property in Queensland.
0: I didn't, Anyone out there yeah. who's bought property <laughs> yeah. in Queensland, who's not from Loving. Queensland, laughing. They right about. laughing. <laughs> they're laughing. They completely get it. But I, uh, so that whole point of like being able to inspect it, but also buying it, like I just, it, it's all so systemized now that it's like, it's so cruising. And I guess the, um, the whole big C pandemic y thing has made it even easier as well. Completely.
1: All right. Do we have time for one more question or is that it for this episode, Grant?
0: I feel as though that might be it. We might have to uh, dangle the carrot and leave them waiting for the next episode, Charlie. Oh well, we may or may not have an
1: episode tailored around why apartments might be the best investment you ever make. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're not necessarily deserving of the shame and just the a, a bluttery of abuse they've at copped, copped as poor investments
0: you have dangled to carry way too good at this one. If you're listening to this and you're like, damn, I want to hear Grant's voice again and hear about this apartment point, head over to propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter, put in your name and email, or get a loved one to do it for you, either or. uh, And we'll notify you every single time we drop one of these episodes. Just want to say thank you very much to yourself, Charlie. Thank you for joining us. We'll catch you on the next episode of Property and Investing.